This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. everybody welcome to if you don't mind i'm your host madeline Sherrington. it's episode three of season two welcome welcome i am very aware that it, it's a uh, stressful time for everybody in the world right now um with covid19 um becoming a pandemic and obviously there is a lot of concern for people's health all over the world i actually was sick these last few weeks i didn't have coronavirus but I still know what it's like to be super scared that there's something wrong with you and that you could be transmitting it to to other people so so I just want to say to anyone listening right now I understand the anxiety I understand the fear um but if we are all open about it and we are actively trying to protect those who are most vulnerable when it comes to this illness that's that's what we want to do but I think in these cases, sometimes listening to stuff like podcasts and music is a good way to distract yourself. So hopefully you listen to this episode and it takes your mind off what's happening globally at the moment. Um, so for this episode, I got to interview a lovely lady by the name of Danielle. I've actually known Danielle since we were very young. We did our first Holy Communion together. <laughs> back in the day um and she's just a very gentle softly spoken very kind calm person and I enjoy speaking to her because it's the complete opposite of who I am in terms of that very calm uh, reserved nature which I find actually quite uh which I found actually quite calming (laughs) um so in this episode we actually talk about Danielle's uh, recent diagnosis with borderline personality disorder and, and basically how that's shaped her recovery journey. Um, specifically, you know, looking at the, the stigma around that illness and, and a lot of people's preconceived notions when it comes to borderline. And yeah, how she's learnt to accept it, understand it and, and grow in, um, with it, basically. Uh, she also tells me these really this really cool story of how she was a mechanic and how she dealt with being in a, a super male dominated field. Very very interesting. Um, but overall, a really a really cool story. Lots of different layers. Um, she's been through so much, but is still so understanding and super self aware, which is really cool to hear. But yeah, I I think this is going to be a good one. Hopefully, it takes your minds off things. Episode three with Danielle coming right at ya. Are you used to it now? Um, I'm not used. No, I am used to it. It's it's harder. It's it's weird. It's actually harder when I know people because yeah. when I don't know them, I'm just like, well, you don't know who I am. There's no there's no context. There's no background. Doesn't really matter. But. I think I'm, I'm more used to it now. That's good. Yeah, I enjoy it. Um, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, ahead of, like, I'm just warning you, I'm very nasally and gross. I don't have coronavirus. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> Although I feel like a lot of people, like I was on the train this morning and I coughed and I just got, this like lady looked at me with like dagger eyes and I was just like, oh, <laughs> I don't have it. It's really, it's actually really sad to me because I think, the way that it's being reported on is just creating this mass anxiety. Yeah. And like 
we are a society that is kind of just completely overrun with information. And I think mm-hmm. if you kind of keep pumping out that information and framing it in a certain way, people are just going to get really frightened. Yeah. And especially because you get such mixed messages, you know, sometimes you see these articles about, hey, it's not that bad after all. And then next thing you hear, Italy's gone into lockdown. I know. It's like, so wait, what is the truth? Like if whole governments are shutting down countries, that's pretty scary and they wouldn't do that for no reason. It's very scary. But at the same time, miles of toilet paper ain't going to help you. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I, I literally every time – it's like so, it's so funny. Today I was at uni and work and doing a group assignment and each, each time – yeah, each time someone brought up the whole like toilet paper thing. I mean – It's just like you just shake your head at society. Like what have, what have we come to? But also like let's be honest. If you were stuck in your house for two weeks <laughs> – you could get away with not using toilet paper. Like there's a lot you more. You could always shower. You could shower, literally. I think there's many more things to be mm-hmm. worried about running out of yeah. compared to toilet paper. Sure. But we digress. <laughs> this is not a, corona, a coronavirus um, a bitch fest uh, podcast. Um, we're here because I'm really excited to, to chat to you. Um, now, I usually introduce people and I say – Give me a few, you know, sentences as to who you are. But I, I would like to point out that we've actually known each other since we were like five years old. Yeah. Well, How, was it that young? We were in primary school together. Oh, Kindergarten. What? Really? Yeah. I don't even remember that Daisyville. I, I didn't go to Daisyville in kindergarten. Really? No, I only started in year five. Oh, I thought we knew each other before that. No. I'm so confused. <laughs> My first memories of you are um, doing our first Holy Communion. Um, what? This okay. is when you were in um, school across the road. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Because I went to the Catholic school and then yeah. we all do communion, communion together. Yeah. That's how we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because I have this memory of like you in that uniform. And so oh. I'm like, I'm just creating memories, I think. Who knows? Who knows? But I've known you quite some time. Yes. That's right. Holy <laughs> communion. What time? What a time. <laughs> um, so it's quite cool to be introduced, like to be interviewing someone from my childhood. Yeah. Um, but for the listeners out there, could you give us a little bit of a rundown as to who you are and what you're about and what you do? Oh, it's a big one. If you can, hard. and it's big yeah, one. Yeah, it is really hard. Um, I'm Danielle. I'm 27. I currently work in childcare at the moment. Um, I have a bit of a weird career past, I guess. I started out as a mechanic. So I left school and went straight into a mechanic apprenticeship, car mechanics, and did that for a few years. Um, really struggled with the whole sexist um, industry. Which we will talk about. I'm yeah, very we'll interested to hear. more of it. Um, and then I left and went into childcare for four years and then found an opportunity basically to get back into the automotive industry as an automotive estimator. Yeah, so that was a epic, epic, epic challenge. It was thrown in the deep end. Um, so I've spent four, uh, oh, I think it was like two or three years working, working that. And I've just moved back to Sydney. So I left Sydney for eighteen months. Went to Brisbane, just up and left my life. Started a new Why one for not? a bit. And anyway, I'm back, and I'm back in childcare. <laughs> What else about me? Um, I love that. I feel like your two loves, children and cars. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. And when, when I was working on cars, I'd sit there and think, oh, I'd love to walk into work and have all these kids smiling oh. in my face. And now that I'm back wiping snotty noses and cleaning nappies, I'm like, oh, I'd just so love to get under a car and get all greasy and like tell the boys what to do again. <laughs> oh, we're very different people. <laughs> uh, and are, so, you, are you liking being back in childcare? Yeah, it's definitely got its um, its positives. Yeah. I mean, it's generally a pretty positive, happy, cheery kind of environment, singing songs and, you know, playing with kids and watching them giggle and seeing them develop and grow. Aww. So it's it's hard to be depressed in that environment. Yes. Um, but still a lot of responsibility. Like yeah. every day you're looking after these tiny little humans. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. stresses me out thinking about it. <laughs> I have a lot of <laughs> I have a lot of stress and anxiety related to like minding children. I just find it the idea very scary. Yeah. Well, when they're in a childcare setting, everything is set up for them. Yeah. It's an established place. Everything's safe. Everything's on their, you know, their level. There's procedures to do absolutely everything. Mm. You're working with a team. Um, if someone drops a ball, you all work together to pick it back up. Um, 
So it's it's almost foolproof. <laughs> the risk of sounding negligent, it's almost foolproof. Um, Good to know. Yeah, I mean, as long as you've got some common sense, you'll be right. <laughs> so I guess I wanted to kind of, I feel like your story is really interesting because there's a lot of layers to it. Mm. Um, and we we could really start it anywhere and, and have a very interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, but I guess I wanted to kind of touch on that what happened uh, before you kind of moved to Brisbane? So what kind of sparked that move and what was happening in your life during that period? Okay, so uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, just before moving to Brisbane, I went through a divorce. Um, and for listeners out here, you're 20, 27, you're 27, which is, now. I guess, a little bit, it's, it's, it's young. Yes, young definitely. Young getting divorced. Yeah. I mean, what, what was that like? Can you, can you talk us through that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I met my, um, my ex-partner when I was about 17. Mm-hmm. I was homeless at the time. Um, and he was a fair bit older than me. Um, he, I guess, just took me in. His family took me in and looked after me. And I didn't have a family support or anything like that. So he became my family support, mm. which I clung on, clung, you know, completely clung on to. And if I had to redo it all, I'd probably... I've made the same choices, mm. you know. It's everyone needs a home and a family and a stable life and someone to go back to, and that was the path I chose at the time. Um, he was a good man; he looked after me really well, and I did love him. Um, I guess as the years progressed, um, I grew up and I changed a lot. I started to figure out who I was. Um, I always had this vision of my life that I was going to travel. Hmm. I'm a bit of a free spirit that way. I'm very social. I like being around people. I like constantly doing things. I'm very spontaneous. And my partner was the exact opposite. He was a homebody. Um, I guess I'd say a workaholic. Um, Didn't like socialising. Had terrible anxiety around travelling or leaving the area. Um, So it was almost inevitable, I guess, that we just sort of grow apart. Um, It was very, very difficult to get around to the decision that I needed to leave mm. it took years um, wow. of like little things little comments little conversations things that would happen completely separate you know from me just seeing like an article about someone else's life or things that kind of led me to believe hang on maybe this isn't my life maybe this isn't how I'm supposed to live my life and mm. maybe there is more out there um, as well as the fact that I was diagnosed with uh, there's so many layers to this. Okay, but, go ahead. Um, um, unpack those layers. Go, <laughs> go for it. So I was diagnosed with um, borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. a few years back. After for our, those for those listening, can you tell us what um, borderline is? Um, it's it is very difficult to explain because it's very different from pretty much everyone that has it. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a branch off complex PTSD. So I went through a lot of um, childhood trauma. Growing up with two mentally ill parents. Um, so I guess it was pretty much from my whole life I was in survival mode dealing mm. with um, every type of abuse, you know, um, emotional, psychological, sexual, um, physical, negligence, everything, you know, at the hands of my own parents and family. So um, by the time I sort of escaped all of that and left my family behind I was left very damaged Mm. um I had to take years to process a lot of that um it was pretty much when I was safe and living in a home with my then fiance you know felt like I had a home for the first time that it all kind of came crashing down like I actually stopped and you know stopped trying to run and chase and like trying to survive and just sat still for a bit and went oh my gosh like how do who am I how do what has happened to me like I started to understand the magnitude and I didn't know where I fit in that I didn't know how that defined me I didn't I didn't understand any of that so for me having a borderline diagnosis was a branch off that complex PTSD it's a fragmented personality Um, most people with borderline don't have a set image in their mind of who they are Mm. Um, it changes depending on who they're with um so that was probably one of the main things. It's also an emotional um, regulation disorder, I guess. So I had no coping skills, no mm. idea how to deal with traumatic or stressful situations, no idea how to deal with um, 
anything as a, you know, in an effective way. Mm. Um, another huge thing for me, I guess, was being so sensitive. So it's a hypersensitivity to most emotions. So the way I guess I would explain it is um, if something happens that would make someone feel, you know, happy or feel nice, um, for me, I would feel elated and excited and over the top. Um, but on the same hand, if something happened that was a bit sad, I would feel distraught. If something happened that would make someone, you know, pissed off or angry, I would go through rage. Wow. Um, okay. So it's like really heightened emotions. Yeah. And so the way, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I don't know how um, accurate my knowledge of it is because there's not a whole lot of information out there. Yeah. Um, but the way I also understood it is that your brain is kind of wired differently and it, it's, it comes from um, a mix of like nature and nurture. Um, for me, it's both. Um, I believe my mother has borderline personality disorder as well as narcissistic personality disorder and I have a long history of mental illness in my family. So I think it was most likely both. It was inevitable. Mm. Um, it runs in the family and, yeah, it was just it was always going to happen basically. So my brain is kind of wired differently from a very young age and I'm when you grow up with that, that's normal to you. Mm. You don't realise that you're not reacting appropriately to certain emotions. You don't realise that what you're feeling is not how someone else would feel in that situation. Um, to me, um, if a small, you know, a slight stressful thing happened, if it happened to someone else, I would cope with it fairly easily. To me, it was just blow my world up. Wow. Um, and because that happened so regularly, it became like I just constantly tried to, it was almost like reacting bigger and bigger and bigger every time. Um, so they're the, they're the things that are what borderline is to me. Um, I believe there's something like 36 different symptoms of wow. borderline and you only need five to be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder so there are hundreds of combinations of symptoms of borderline so I had no idea that's so interesting yeah it's it's almost like the category for when you don't fit into you know bipolar or anything else it's got like this like mixed bag yeah. of yeah that's really interesting and I think for the most part the way that definitely the media or like film and television portrays mm -hmm. people with borderline is that they're very emotionally charged, charged yeah. and there's there's lots of erratic behavior and they yeah. and they can be really mean and cruel and you're like mm -hmm. well, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that's true no. i and i think it was like earlier on back when they used to have psych wards you know mental hospitals where they'd lock people away um people with borderline were classed as hysterical it was a hysterical woman syndrome thing. Um, Which is just like a narrative we hear so oh, much yeah. when it comes to women yeah, well, being the, ill. Even yeah. the whole bunny boiler thing in yes. that movie. And, um, that's probably the hardest thing I've had to overcome is the stigma around borderline. Yes. And, and that's the hardest part. And I, as I'm sure you know, like no one can tell you um, what is what is happening to you? It's something everyone's got their own journey. They need to discover things of their you know on their own. Mm. Um, so and yeah, everyone everyone's going through their own things. I'm sure there's been times where I've been absolutely terrifying to the people around me, and until I figured out my own my own way of managing and dealing mm. with things. Um, so my relationship fell apart mostly because of because of that. Yeah. Um, but also it, it was my journey of discovering who I am and how to deal with all of that trauma and um, this diagnosis that I had that I was like, wow, I have to live with this. This is not something that you just you know, take a quick pill and it's resolved or mm. something you have to do the hard yards to, to sort through and I will always battle with. So, um, yeah, my, my relationship um, was deteriorating and I I just needed to put myself on a different path, basically. That's so brave. I feel like at – so how old were you when that, that was happening? So I, probably between about 23 – so I had a miscarriage at 23 and that was what okay. led to the spiral and me being hospitalised and diagnosed with borderline. I started um, DBT therapy mm -hmm. at around 24 – so what's DBT, uh, DBT therapy? Um, dialectical behavioural therapy. Oh, okay. Um, 
it is kind of like cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy, which I know a lot of people know as CBT. It's what you um, you know most people it's the front line of therapy, I guess. Yeah. Um, DBT is a lot harder to get into. Um, it's actually crazy how difficult it is to access. Really? Yeah. Um, I had to go through the hospital, so I was hospitalised a few times. Um, and it was only when I'd tried maybe a dozen or more medications that did not work. Um, went through really bad side effects um, that I um, basically said to them, you know, there's, there's got to be something else. And they said, there is this other therapy you can go to, but it's something like $800 a session. Oh, my and God, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So my... I'm so grateful still to this day that my ex-husband actually paid for health insurance for us um, and it was not cheap at all. No, I can't And imagine. it would have been – it was like the, the top cover, the most expensive one you could get. But I, that enabled me to go to a 16-week course. I went once a week Wait, for 16 oh. weeks and it was group therapy. We had two facilitators. Um, they were amazing. Um there were young women like me and you and they had all sorts of different experience and different therapies um, and they themselves had been on a journey to find something more. They felt like you know, mm. CBT often didn't work. They felt like medication often didn't work and so they had put themselves on this path to become DBT facilitators. Everyone in the, in the class um, was at completely different levels of where they were in life. There was, um, you know, an, an elderly lady who was in her 70s. Um, there was, uh, you know, a, a late teenager. There was mothers. Um, there was grandmothers. There was um, all sorts of people from all walks of life in there with borderline, with um, just general anxiety, with um, bipolar, with um, what was someone else had. There was actually a lady in there who had um, schizophrenia. Um, so I actually became really good friends with her because she had a lot of different experiences to anyone else I'd ever met. Mm. Um, but we all all contributed. It was a very open, honest class. We all got to know each other so well. And that's half of the experience is being in a group, dealing with other people, going through their episodes you know some weeks we'd come in and one person would be off the charts with their anxiety the other person would be suicidal um sometimes we'd come in and someone would be just over the moon excited about something amazing happening in their lives so it was teaching us regulation and how to control ourselves and how to deal with other people on different levels as well that's really interesting yeah like you've got like this mixed bag of people mm-hmm. and they might be experiencing a lot of different things at different times, but you've just got to come in each week and kind of just continue on yourself, like with what you're, with your development. Yeah. I really like that. We used to do this, um, this thing that every, the start of every class after lunch and at the end of every class, um, we would walk in and give, a a rating on a scale of where our um, stress levels were. Mm. So we called it SUDS. I can't remember what um, SUDS stood for. It was like stress, distress. Um, I can't remember exactly, but it was like a distress level. Mm. So we would have to sit there and evaluate where am I right now? You know, it's 10s like ready to get up and run out the door. And one is, you know, so relaxed I could fall asleep right now. Mm. So Walking in, you always got a gauge of where everyone else was in that room. We'd all give a quick um, introduction of how our week's gone and how we're feeling in that moment. Um, And I didn't understand the purpose of it until later on, basically, when I learnt that that had become a habit for me to go, okay, where am I right now? How am I feeling? I just need to check in with myself. Where am I? And according to where I am on that scale, we learnt skills of how to deal with that. Yeah. So when you're really distressed that is not the time to make big decisions that is not the time to do anything basically but bring that level of stress down mm. um and then when you're in the middle range you know you, you still got to work on yourself but if you need to make you know tr- try and push through it like continue through your day mm. see if you can do little things and tricks and new skills throughout the day to to maintain a, a decent level and if you're right down the bottom maybe that's a good time to work on long-term goals and make some hard decisions that you've been putting off for another time or deal with you know tricky family members or have a hard conversation so 
Yeah, I don't think that was the in- I, I Actually, that was probably the intended reason yeah. <laughs> for it, but they, they weren't clear with that. I feel um, like most people could benefit just being like, hmm, I'm going to check in now, yeah. see where I'm at right yeah. now because I feel great. Yeah. And also just like I like the idea of going into a room and everybody else saying exactly how mm-hmm. they're feeling because whenever – in this life of ours, do we get to go into a room and be like, you know what, I'm actually at an eight right now. I'm having yeah. a terrible time. Yeah. You just have to go into work and just pretend you're fine. Mm-hmm. Like that would be an amazing society to live in if we could be open and honest with how we're feeling in every moment. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. And then people can respond to you appropriately. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Like, and that's the thing. If you're really feeling crap and someone then kind of arcs up and doesn't treat you in a way that you – you know, need in that moment, that's mm-hmm. just going to make you worse. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I guess that's the the whole thing of you never know what someone else is going through in the yes. day. You don't know if someone's partner's, you know, broken up with them or, it's you know, so someone's true. passed away or their dog's sick or something like that. You never know really unless you're close enough for them to open up to you. So. Yes, I agree. I feel like when it comes to not just mental illness but just how we are as people in an everyday way. I feel like the two most important things are like, you never know what someone's going through and pain is relative. And I think, I think like if you can kind of keep those in the back of your mind Mm -hmm. as you continue on in your life, Mm -hmm. it just makes you kind of that much more aware of everybody around you. I just think it's so important. It's, it's a, it's, it's being, I guess, self-reflective and also aware and (sighs) self-aware. could talk about this for hours yeah dbt was very interesting and i promise you at the end of the class every single one of us was saying why are we not taught this in school oh the world would be a better yeah. place if everyone had emotional regulation skills if everyone was able to um assess where they are and how they're feeling and then like be able to respond appropriately in life according to where you know how they're going yes a hundred percent a hundred percent i feel like sorry i'm very gross right now with all my phlegm in the back of my throat but I feel like I've had conversations with particular I don't want a pigeonhole but particularly men <laughs> in the past and they've just been like I'm upset and I'm like cool why are you upset and they're like I don't know I'm not really sure yeah. why I'm upset because like they just haven't been taught to like understand their emotions and read them mm. and it's just such an important skill yeah just to be able to dissect and um, be able to recognise, okay, what I'm feeling is this and I'm, the reason I'm feeling this is because of this. Mm. How am I going to respond appropriately? Um, we learnt an- another thing in the DBT course we learnt was all emotions lead back to a very few basic primary emotions. Oh, tell me about that. So I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. That's I okay. probably should. But there's <laughs> things like um, and every emotion has a purpose. Mm. For example, the main one that comes to my head is like there's a whole a whole list like jealousy, um, anger. Um, oh, I can't remember the others, but they all lead back to basically anger, right? Mm-hmm. It's an it's an angry kind of emotion. Anger is was there back in the primal ages, back when we were <laughs> cavemen. <laughs> When someone, um, you know, tried to take your wife or stole food from you or did something, that would make you angry and that would make you want to fight to protect yourself. That was a survival skill. And anger was used to motivate us to do what we needed to do to survive. So it's, it's weird because in today's modern day and age, like things have changed so much. Obviously, we're not in survival mode all the time. We don't. No. We don't need to fight for our survival each no, and every day. No, we're all day. on Instagram having smoothies. Yeah, that's all we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's helped me in that sometimes, like, okay, especially with the feeling of jealousy, mm. that's very normal for everyone. Um, but when you can understand, okay, I'm feeling jealous because I feel like I'm being pushed out from, you know, a friendship group or um, something like that, then I can go, okay, you know what, that's – valid feeling but it's not really that useful Mm. it's not useful it's not going to help me in any way um whereas occasionally you know it is still it is still relevant and that's those emotions can motivate us um for example if you're in a bad situation you're not be treated right at work Mm. um that might make you angry 
being you know treated unfairly and that anger is then going to motivate you to want to do better to have better to to move on quit that job and find another one you know yeah so that's when it's useful but it needs to be directed in the right way don't take that anger out on the people around you use Mm. that to motivate you to make your life better um and then same with sadness you know if you if we didn't have happiness and sadness we wouldn't know what we valued true i guess it's important to have that even though sadness is a crap feeling yeah it's important because then you can tell when you're happy yeah otherwise you have no yardstick exactly oh so clever (laughs) you've learned so much in your journey um i just wanted to kind of go back to um a point you made regarding borderline and and the stigma attached to it yeah when you were in hospital did you find there was i don't know like were you was your particular diagnosis stigmatized were you treated differently were you kind of excluded from people because of it did you find that there was stigma you know towards you from other patients um yes but not in the way you'd think okay so I was hospitalized a few different times at different you know various hospitals because for some reason, they'd never have many beds in the mental no. side. No. So you kind of just get shipped around to whatever hospital can take you. Mm. Um, the hospital I was in when I was diagnosed with borderline, um, I was in there with, I think, six other people and five of us were diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Wow. However, they didn't believe that I had borderline they refused to believe that, like the other the other patients. Mm. They were like, no, you're not like us. You don't have it. You're not bad enough. Oh. Yeah. It was, it was quite weird because I didn't want the diagnosis because I didn't know anything about it and who wants a diagnosis of, you know, a mental illness. Yeah. Um, I knew nothing about it at the time. Um, and, yeah, it was just I was trying to come to terms with all of it. I didn't know what it meant for my future. Mm. Um, and then to have other people, instead of supporting me and encouraging me, um, or being like, okay, here's some information, or this is what it's like, or this is how I get help. Um, it, it was nothing, nothing like that at all. So it was, it was really strange. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, and I guess that what I later learned was that, you know, there's so many different, uh, variations of symptoms. I'm not uh, I guess the most common type. Mm, mm. Um, I think a lot of people with borderline are very, and this is generalizing as well, but are usually um, extroverted people. They're quite loud, um, very opinionated maybe. Um, whereas I'm I'm very soft-spoken. I'm gentle. I'm very quiet. I keep to myself a lot. Mm. I think most people would assume I'm very level-headed as well. Yeah. Definitely. I keep a lot internally, I think, mm. um, as opposed to letting it all out and letting the world know my struggles. It's just all in inside. Mm. So maybe that's where I, I come across as very different. Right. Um, but, yeah, the borderline diagnosis has been a, a sore spot for me. Yeah. Um, I was in the hospital with uh, another lady who had that and she was going through IVF. Mm. And the hormones were really messing with her her head excuse me so I asked her like is this a path that you you feel you must follow like if it's if it's leading you to become hospitalized because you can't cope with the hormones maybe there's other options for you have you considered adoption Hmm. and she said no I've been diagnosed with borderline I won't ever be able to adopt and my heart sank because Having had my own fertility struggles, that was something I've had in the back of my mind yeah. that I would like to do in future. So I was just like, wow, oh, okay, this is what it's going to be like having borderline. Um, is that for kind of any – like I actually have no idea what the restrictions are for people with, with pre-existing mental health conditions. Yeah, I haven't wow. looked into it. I'm not at a place in my life where I want to go through anything mm. like that. I don't know how accurate – that information from her was, but it kind of gave me a bit of a glimpse into what um, what struggles I may face mm. in future. Um, so even like I, I usually wear my heart on my sleeve in a few ways. Like I'm very honest with what I'm going through if people want to talk to me and like I, I really love what you do by oh. having a podcast talking about mental illness. I believe in talking through your experiences in the right setting. 
Um, but I have been sometimes very wary of where I'll note it down. You know, mm. my medical history, is it relevant right now? No, so I'm not going to put it down. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'm not going to put it on my resume. I'm not going <laughs> to... Um, not going to announce it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, it's not something I bring up for a long time with any friendships or relationships yeah. or anything like that. If it's relevant, I'm going through a particularly hard time. Of course, I'm honest with people and say, look, I, I have this issue. I'm battling right now. I'm mm. going through a bit of a, you know, an episode or something. Bear with me. Um, but unfortunately, I guess there is still that stigma and mm. I, I hate it. I really, really, really hate it. Of course, it. it must be so frustrating. But yeah, at the same time, I really don't want to let it. I don't want a diagnosis of a mental illness hold me back in life. Yep. No. It's, that's not fair. It shouldn't, it shouldn't affect me. So it's up to me to... I guess, regulate that. And I hope that we get to a point in the world where there's more understanding and there's more information. Like just Googling it myself, you kind of, you come across all sorts of horrific descriptions and explanations and like warnings against people with borderline. And I've just, I've tried to avoid it as much as I can because I know that that's just people who don't understand it as well. Um, yeah, I just try and find the useful useful things and it, it's becoming more prominent I've been able to find some really good articles actually to share with my current partner oh that's awesome yeah because I I usually have a pretty good handle on myself lately I've been off medication for a long time um and so I I like to think that you know everything's all fine and daisy even though I'm just a bit oblivious to what's going on <laughs> under the surface sometimes. Um, but, that, you know, when I've had struggles and I've not been able to explain to him what's going on, I've, I've found a few really good articles that are very kind and compassionate and, like, understanding. Yeah, which is what you want. Yeah, and they give useful tips to, to people um, who are dealing with a relative or a friend or something who is going through a hard time because it is different to most other most other mental illnesses, I guess. Mm. And I think it's really good to speak about this stuff open, openly because a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the, the narrative surrounds people with anxiety and depression. And that's that's great because mm. we need as much, you know, awareness around that as possible. But I think the problem with that is that we kind of don't then focus on the other kind of more not rare, but like less common, mm. more complicated, less understood illnesses. Yep. And they just become like really scary and demonized yeah. and so loaded, mm -hmm. like the terms are so loaded. And it it frustrates me because I'm like, we're doing such a good job when it comes to these two big, like big conditions, yeah. anxiety and depression, I guess because they affect, they affect more people yep. and they're easier and they're sexier and they're, you know, <laughs> you can treat them. Mm. But I think the more we have these conversations and the yeah. more people can be like, yeah, I have borderline. Yeah. Fight me. What up? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like in the same way that I can say I have an anxiety disorder, I have depression. And the mm. same goes for like things like bipolar and schizophrenia. They're so loaded and people just hear the term and they already like have all these images mm. and preconceived notions flooding their brain. Yeah. And I just wish we could get to a point where that isn't happening. And I think that's why people like you are really important because you're willing to just put it on the table and be like, this is who I am. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I do this, 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 this. No. This is just how it is. And, yeah. I, and I really commend you for that. Thank you. And I I like what you're, where you're going with that as well. So being in um, the mental health ward, uh, I think I've probably spent about three or four weeks in various different ones over, mm. I think it was about a 12-month or 18-month period. I had a lot of exposure to other people with, you know, quite serious mental illnesses. So a lot of people with um, bipolar, that was mm. probably the most prominent one and mm -hmm. borderline, um, even a few people with schizophrenia. And I hadn't met a whole lot of people with any of those illnesses beforehand. So to me, they were terrifying as well. I had no idea what to expect. It was big deal stuff. Once I got to know these people, I just realized they're all battling just like everyone else, but just in a different way, yeah. in a way that, you know, may require medication or a way that they need extra support in different ways, or it's just not understood by the general public, mm. which is probably how a lot of people with mental illness do end up in um, mental health wards because they're not understood or, you know, people don't respond appropriately or um, I guess the world sort of isn't set up 
to accept all different types of people with all different types of illnesses as much no. as we'd like it to be. So. No, I agree. I think we're very much focused on things that we can easily treat and cure. Yeah. I think we're like, cool, I can fix that. Done. And paint everyone with the same brush. Yes. Yes. Because um, I think that's, again, what you were saying in terms of a, one person with borderline mm. might have these symptoms, another person with borderline might have these symptoms, and therefore their treatment and their experiences are going to be very different. Yeah. And again, that's the thing, like you can't just, it's not a one size fits all approach. Exactly. I mean, it is, but and it shouldn't be, <laughs> Yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, I, I don't want to run out of time and I really, I really want to ask you about this, but you, you mentioned right when we first started talking about being um, a mechanic. Mm-hmm. So like, A, what made you want to be a mechanic? And B, what was that like being in a heavily male dominated area because that just I mean talk about stressful that just sounds stressful to me was it yeah 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 yeah. so I left I don't know if you remember but I left high school in year 11 yes I do remember um I had one very good reason for leaving and it was because I was counting down until I was 18 so I could move out be independent on my own And being at school meant it was hard to work enough to save up enough money. Of course. So I spent a long time just browsing through the TAFE list long before ever leaving school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. There was nothing. (laughs) I still don't know what I want to do with my life. Like I could not pick. (laughs) Could not pick. Um, I guess I'd had a little bit of exposure to working on bikes and cars through friends. Mm. And when I was much younger with my father, so I used to hate being in the kitchen, hated playing inside. I just wanted to be in the garage building things, using tools, um, getting under cars. I don't know why I've always had that that interest. Mm. Um, I think it came up as a joke one day. I said to someone, maybe my sister, oh, the only thing I could actually think would be anything, you know, interesting to do would be a mechanic and then laughed it off and moved <laughs> past it. And then, you know, a week later I was looking through the list again and I sort of had a little giggle in my head as I went past the automotive mechanic apprenticeship thing. And it happened so many times until the point where I was running out of time, running out of options, running out of money. And I was like, damn it, I just need to pick something. And it was probably just one of those days where, you know, you're feeling really confident and like I can do anything, Mm. you know, woman power and went, hang on a second, why have I been taking this as a joke? Why not? Why couldn't I do this? Mm. I don't know anything about cars, but I can learn. You can learn. I can learn. 100%. So, um, yeah, there was an open day like the following week for that apprenticeship course and I took my sister over to Automotive (laughs) and we walked into the automotive building and I remember I grabbed a a piece of paper, you know, the the pamphlet thing and I walked over to the desk where one of the teachers was sitting and he goes, and I, I think I said to him, you know, I, I want to be a, a mechanic. And he just laughed at me. No. And he shook my hand and grabbed it and looked at my fingernails and went, you can say goodbye to those pretty nails. And I went, great, I don't care. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and my sister was like, whoa. She was just like looking around the room like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I was like, yep. Who cares? Worst case, I'll give it a go. If I hate it, I'll find something else. But right now I've got no other options. This is all I, I can think of doing. Mm. Sounds like fun. I'm excited. So I remember my first day like walking into TAFE and we're walking through the workshop and there's all these engines on stands. And the teacher, um, he was talking to everyone else like they already knew what they were talking about. Uh-huh. And I was like, why do, why do they know all this stuff? Like aren't they just starting fresh as a first year with me? Yeah. And then I looked at, there was this like big shiny blue thing on the side of the engine and I asked someone, I was like, what's that? And they all cracked up laughing. They're like, that's an oil filter, dum-dum. Like that's the most basic thing of an oil change. How don't you know that? And I just looked at them, I'm like, I've never seen an engine in my life. Like I have no idea. And they all thought it was hilarious and like, oh yeah, you're going to last long in here. <laughs> I was like, yeah, watch me. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, take you all down. Yeah. Don't laugh at me. Oh. Anyway. I I loved it. I absolutely loved going to TAFE. Work was the hard part. Yeah. Um, I'm a pretty petite person. <laughs> There's <laughs> very little. Not much muscle to me whatsoever. Um, I really struggled physically. But 
it was an amazing mental challenge, pushing myself, like thinking you've got this physical limit mm. and then going, damn it, I'm stuck here holding this big, you know, big thing. Like if I don't manage to push it up and lock it into place, I'm literally falling to the ground with this massive part falling on me. You know, oh. like I just, just when you think you can't go anymore, you've just got to find that extra strength in you. And to mm. me, I'd never been pushed that way physically. Um and then mentally it was, yeah, dealing with the snide remarks, the sexist remarks. You'd have customers come in and be like, oh, I don't want her working on my car. Really? Yep. And then, I'd, you know, the next day I'd have a creepy old man come in and say, I don't want anyone else to work on my car but her. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's either, yeah, they're either like dismissing you because you're a woman or they're showing interest in you because you're, oh, yes, yes. that's so gross. And I, it makes me angry. Yeah. And I was... Um, just starting out and then a mechanic from, you know, a, a completely different workshop walked in one day and went, oh, you've got a girl apprentice. I'm sick of all these dumb boy apprentices in their teens that just don't give a crap about anything. Do you have a sister? And I was like, what? Yes, I have a, what? <laughs> like, do I, is that a serious question? Um, sure enough, I did actually go and work for him because it was the only other prospect and he was horrible. Oh no. He was absolutely horrible. I think I was there for a few months and I'm just saying, oh my God, screw you, mate. Um, it was hard. Like every, I think I had about eight different jobs within a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was really difficult. And towards the end of it, I was just so tired, mm. just emotionally exhausted. Um, and, and physically struggling a lot, to be honest. Mm. Um, they would sometimes expect things of me that I wasn't physically capable of. And in turn, I would injure myself. And then I would get treated like crap because I hadn't completed a job because I was off because I couldn't walk. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, um, you know, I'd walk into a new workshop and they'd be like, oh, well, you're a girl. You must know everything. You must be amazing at this and expect me to do things. I'm like, I'm, I have, I'm a first year. I've been, yeah. I've been a mechanic for six months. Like, how can you expect that of me? Um, so that's why in the end, like, I finished my TAFE course, um, but I left working as a mechanic before I'd finished that. I went into childcare. Hmm. And it was a shame because as soon as I left, I missed it so much. Really? Yeah, I even found a, a local like service station um, centre and I went and worked on Saturday mornings um, because I missed being around cars so much. Uh, it was just, it's yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough industry, I think, for anyone. And the, the pay was so poor. I think mm. I was getting like eight or nine dollars an hour. What? And all the chemicals you use are so carcinogenic. Oh, my God. And... Uh, you know, you, you're covering yourself in, in petrol and all these chemicals. You're breathing mm. in brake dust, which is just as bad as asbestos almost. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, long term, I'm not really earning enough to support myself. Constantly getting hurt in this, you know, continuous mental battle, you know, with, with these men, men <laughs> grown men, like bullying oh. me as an, a tiny little 18 year old girl with no family support very you know damaged internally in a way you know it was yeah I, I had to walk away I just had to walk away I just thought there's no there's no real future here for me mm. um and I started to take interest in estimating so I don't know if you know much but it's a very different side to mechanics I don't know anything tell me Okay, so um, a mechanical work on the mechanical, like working parts, the, thing, the things that make the car move. Yes. And then you've got the smash repair side. So it's the, the panel damage, you know, like when you have a car accident, mm. they'll fix the metal and paint it, make it all nice and shiny again. So my ex-partner, my husband, he was a panel beater. So he worked in that industry and I had some exposure. I used to go and work in the office where he was working sometimes and I'd just hang around, float around the workshop after hours, go there on the weekends, you know, keep keep involved. Mm. And I saw this man being an estimator, you know, looking at the car, writing down a quote, okay, this is what we need to fix, this is how much the part costs, you know, balancing up what's worth it. And I just, I loved his job. It was half office job, half workshop. And I always said one day I'm going to be an estimator. And I looked into courses and I just never got around to doing it. So... One day I had a friend who was an estimator and he jokingly always said, oh, you could do my job easy. And then he was promoted to manager. And he came up to me and my, my ex at the time and was like, well, do you know any estimators anywhere? And I jokingly was like, hey, what about me? <laughs> 
And he was like, oh, yeah, all right, all right. And I was like, no, hang on. You've always said I could do your job easy. Well, here I am. I hate my job and, you know, you, you need someone to do it. It's an easy starting position. Like, why not? You're my friend. You'll be my boss. You can show me the way. Why not? Like, this is perfect. So sure enough, he hired me and I was back in the automotive industry. Oh, my God. So most most estimators are um, panel beaters or spray painters who've, you know, done 30, 40 years in the trade. They know it inside out and back to front. Um, you know, they physically can't keep up with a, a tough tradie job. Sure. So then they go into the office side of it and they've got so many years of you know, hands-on experience and knowledge and everything like that, that the job is quite straightforward for them and they're very good at it because they're thorough. They know it inside out and back to mm, front. Mm. So little old me walks in, didn't even know the name of half the parts. Um, it was it was a – I was thrown in the deep end. <laughs> um, so my friend, he tried to show me as much as he could. However, two other staff left at the same time. So he was also trying to teach the new other staff mm. the jobs. Um, but, yeah, I, I did that for for a while. I worked in a large company. Uh, I won't name which one it is, but it was a toxic, toxic, toxic environment. No, because of all the men? Because it was male-dominated? There's still a lot of women in the industry working as secretaries mm. and um, in HR and, like, accounting and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but it's just, yeah, very uh, – the hierarchy of the company was just toxic, toxic, toxic. Anyway, I yeah, I did that for maybe two years, left, went into a different company in the same – you know, doing the same thing, and it was very much the same. So in the end, I walked away from that and said, you know, the pay was great. I loved my job. Mm. I loved the actual operating side of it. A lot of responsibility and very stressful. And, yeah, I kind of just – I left Brisbane recently, um, left that job. And well, now you're back in Sydney. Yeah, I'm back and I'm out of that industry and I'm like, I don't even know where I am, what I'm doing. <laughs> like, is this what I want? It's definitely not what I was doing before, but, I, yeah, it's it's – but do you Go think do you think being in that like a male dominate dominated industry going into something that you had no idea about do you think it like it showed you a different like yes you know way in yeah. life do you think it you yeah. developed differently because of it I've definitely become a lot more confident I've learned mm. to back myself even mm. if you doubt yourself you act confident yes um you show no fear um it was very intimidating walking through a workshop full of tradies so for example one day I was up in my office and we had a new office girl start from another site and she went looking for someone in the workshop and I saw her walk through and I watched all the guys as she walks past turn around and stare and gawk and make hand gestures behind her no hand gestures oh and screaming out all sorts of things and I just watched her and I'm like I've been working here for six months and I went downstairs and I said to the guy I'm like oh jokingly like sort of baiting him a bit I'm like oh what do you think of the new receptionist he's like oh I'm like I saw what happened when she walked through. I said, does that happen with me? And he's like, mate, you've got no idea. Wait, what? Like, Mm. is that what I'm here for? Like, I had an authoritative kind of job. Like, I had to write their job sheets. Um, There needed to be that kind of level of respect. And I thought I was owning it. You know, I thought it's it's really difficult to prove yourself. Yeah. You know, as a female Mm. in most areas, you've got to prove yourself. You've got to work that 110% just to be treated as an equal to someone who's putting, you know, half effort in. Mm. So it was really heartbreaking for me to see that I – you know, I sort of started to respect these men as well and thought, oh, cool, we've got this, like, respect going on. And then to see them treat another woman the same and find out that it's the same with me as well, I was just like... Mind blown. Oh, yeah. I just hated them all in that moment. Mm. I wanted to run through the shop, work, like, screaming and <laughs> yelling, you know, things at them. And I just, yeah, had to suck it up and face them all with a straight face and keep doing my job. Um you know, demand the respect and try not to let it get to you. I definitely we had to build a, a thick skin. I was so impressed. Very, very thick skin. It's just exhausting. Yeah. It's just so, so exhausting. I can imagine. And I, I mean, I feel like it's naive of me to have thought that maybe it's better these days. 
But I guess in those industries that are so male dominated, mm. especially the automotive industry, yeah. it's very rough. Yeah. Not saying you know, I'm, I'm sure you find all sorts of walks of people in office jobs, but the the amount of things that you come across and like. Yeah, I could tell a lot of stories about. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so it. Yeah, but you it did tough. it, and you fucking showed them. Yeah, and and the thing is as well, like I had a lot of haters, a lot of people that it didn't matter what I did, yes. couldn't stand me, treated me like crap, talked to me like a child, would ignore me and belittle me constantly. But then I had the odd few that were like, "You are amazing. We oh. love what you're doing. You are good. Ignore the haters." Um, were all the haters men? Everyone was a man. <laughs> all of them were men. Um, but Why like my I? last job, I had an amazing boss. Yeah. He just let gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted. Ugh. He completely trusted me 100%. If I told him something was something, he would believe me and back me. He would 100% back me. It's not hard, right? Just because you have a uterus, your trust like... yeah. Yeah, he would 100% back me. He would take my side over everything. Um, and at the same time, if you thought I was wrong, he'd let me know. Yeah, um, which is what you want. Exactly. You, you want people to be Honest, straight with you yeah. and respect you at the same time. Yeah. That's all we want. Yeah. For you to be straight with us and respect us. Yeah. Because you get that too. And it's the people that, that did um, support me that you know, and treated me equal mm. that made it possible. Yeah. It just takes one or two people to have faith in you that you can still go, okay, hold your head up high and, and keep going with your day. Well. Um, and there there are more and more and more. And, the, you know, I had the haters where I'd, I'd go front on and be like, what is your problem? Mm. And, you know, they'd have little girls. And I'd be like, how would you feel if your daughter was treated like that? Mm. How would you feel if you knew your, work went to, uh, your wife went to work every day and was treated differently because she was female? Like I and I'd put it on them. I'd have the hard conversations with them, and oftentimes they'd back off. I wouldn't necessarily flip their attitude or perspective, but I'd get them to it. yeah. I'd yeah. challenge it, and it would at least make them go, okay, all right, whatever. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> fight the battle. Um, <laughs> Don't want to talk to this scary lady. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Hats off to you. Thank Hats you. Hats off to you. Thank you. Um, look, we're nearly out of time, but I'm going to do what I, I do with every guest and, and ask you for some advice. And that is if there's someone out there who has just got a diagnosis of a of, of borderline personality and they, they're kind of grappling with it and they don't really know what that means or how to respond to it, what is um, a piece of advice that you would give them? Uh, talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, Every single person has their own experience with a mental illness, whether they've gone through it personally or they've got a close family friend or um, anyone, you know, anyone has some kind of experience and they may not have a good perspective on it. They may not have a good understanding on it. So you've got two possible options. They're going to share their experience and teach you something or you're going to share yours and teach them something. Either way, it's always going to improve the situation and give – you know, any any little bit of information can just chip away at a block. Just something you might say might spark an idea mm. or might lead someone down a, a path of discovery or, you know, prompt them to ask someone that they're worried about, hey, are you okay? Mm. Um, so my my biggest advice is just talk to anyone and everyone. Don't be afraid of people judging you. If they do judge you, they're not worth your time. Mm. Walk away. Mm. Um, and for the most part, people people don't judge mental illness as much anymore Mm. um I've found most of my manage how how do I say it like a lot of my healing process of the things I've been through is by speaking to other people who've been through Mm. you know their own their own things and um that's helped me get to where I am so speak about it and that's why I love what you're doing Maddie absolutely love it thank you well, Danielle, you've been a dream and I oh, really appreciate you coming on the, the show and talking about something that you have not necessarily always wanted to talk about, but you're yeah. at a place where you can. Yeah. So well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye. Hey there. I hope you liked that one. I told you she's really 
chill and like level-headed which is again something I am not (laughs) and I really admire it um yeah a big thank you to Danielle for speaking about something that she has struggled to share with lots of people in the past but um is wanting to make it easier for other people going through the same thing so hats off to you Danielle well done Um, guys, just before we go today, I will do my regular spiel when it comes to social media, just because I want to be interacting with people as much as possible. You can find the podcast on Facebook. Just type in if you don't mind the same with Instagram, chuck in if you don't mind podcast, you will find it there. If you want to get in contact or be on the show, you can reach out to my email address, which is if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. Um, I've also got a Patreon. If you feel like becoming a patron, you can just go to Patreon and type in, if you don't mind, you'll find us there. And if you have the chance, please review, um, rate and review us on, on, um, iTunes. I don't think you can do it on Spotify. Basically wherever you could review the podcast would be great. Um, but yeah, I think, look guys, it's going to be a rough year. There's no doubt about it. I, I want to try and create a safe space for people who are struggling when it comes to anxiety around uh, COVID-19. So stay tuned. I will hopefully be getting some stuff out in the next few months around it. But yeah, I think in this situation, all we can do is really band together and support each other through a very, very scary time and know that we will get through it. Know that this is not the, this is not forever. Um, and to protect those people who are most vulnerable. Guys, as I always say, be kind to yourselves, be kind to one another, and if you can, take the time to listen to someone else's story because it is super important, especially in times like this. Bye.